You guys know if you're part of the Woods Edge family, you know our mission here. It's, it's, it's loving Jesus. That's first and foremost. We want to love Jesus with all our hearts. We want to journey together. That involves loving your neighbor. Journey together. We have home churches and other groups. And then we want to bring hope to the world, our own neighborhood, and around the world. That's our mission. Thank you for your part in that mission, for all that you do, praying, serving, giving. Uh, thank you. Uh, we could not... Uh, uh, do what we do, transforming lives, apart from your prayers, generosity, and all your serving. Thank you. So in Hebrews 11, we have God's hall of faith. Men and women in the Old Testament who lived by faith. And they're in this great hall of faith chapter. The man who is occupying more space in that chapter than anybody else is Abraham. The Example of faith in all the Bible. Now, there are others. There's Abel, Enoch, Noah, Moses, and many others. One of the folks in this Hall of Faith chapter is Sarah, Abraham's wife. And it's interesting because in our passage today, we're going to see her lack of faith. But in fact, she must really grow in faith in a special way because she is included in the Hall of Faith chapter. Now, these folks are men and women, not perfect men and women, but men and women who learn to live by faith rather than by their own self-reliance and self-efforts and self-dependence. They learn to trust God through the tough things and through the good times of life. They, they've abandoned self-dependence so they would depend upon God. Now, God is looking for people today right here at Wood's Edge who in their only lifetime, only opportunity to, to live by faith, will, will learn to trust their God. He's looking for people right here. Because the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So God delights when you and I are trusting him and learning to live by faith. All righty, please stand as I read today's passage. We're in Abraham's life. We're learning about the journey of faith for us. And we're in Genesis 18, beginning at verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord... If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely... Return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. 
and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. This is God's word. Please be seated. Be an interesting passage to unpack. All righty. The three men we will find out as the passage goes by are not normal men. They include God and two angels. So here in Genesis 18, our passage, one of those examples of um, what theologians might call a theophany, the appearance of God in the Old Testament in human form. It will become clear to the reader, and I think over time it becomes clear to Abraham. I don't think he knows it at first that this is God. Abraham is extremely hospitable to his guests, which was a characteristic of ancient Near Eastern culture and, in fact, still is today. In the Middle East, hospitality is particularly important. Abraham exudes a spirit of humility, of generosity, of servanthood. For example, in verse 2, when he first sees the men, he runs from the tent to see them. Then he bows low to them. And at this point, he just thinks that, uh, you know, they're just human beings. For example, in verse 3, if you don't mind putting 3 back up, I didn't ask for it to be put back up, but verse 3 says, Oh, Lord, maybe you got a Bible there. When you see uh, the word Lord in small letters, that's not the person named Yahweh. Now, later on, verse 11, uh, God will use the term Lord, all caps, and in your English translations of the Old Testament, uh, pay attention to that. Every time you see the word Lord, is it all caps or is it small letters? If it's all caps, this Yahweh, the personal name for God, that's the only use of God. But when you say little letters Lord, like this one, it translates in a Hebrew word called Adonai, which could be translated human or divine Lord. Just like our English word Lord can refer to human or divine. So uh, this is little letters. He's just calling him master. He's just being respectful. All right, all that was a rabbit trail on the word Lord. Back to the passage. Verse 3, he's very courteous to them. He invites them to stay. He says, let, let us wash your feet. And uh, th th then he says, yeah, let me just get you a morsel to eat. Now, he uses the term morsel. He's underplaying it. He'll bring a feast. And, you know, he'll get the finest calf, and he'll have his servants and Sarah, everybody working to, to serve them. And when he serves them this sumptuous feast, he stands by them and watches while they eat. He, he, he's like a servant. So Abraham going out of his way to be hospi hospitable. Okay, at this point, I'm going to take another rabbit trail. Um, so this is a rabbit trail here on the main trail. The main point of the passage is that we need to learn to trust God like Abraham and Sarah learned to trust God. That's the point of the passage. The point of the passage is not hospitality. 
And the reason I'm pointing it out, because I'm going to say a couple of things about hospitality, but I want to make it very clear that in your everyday Bible study, always be cognizant what's the point of the passage. Because the Bible can be used and misused in all kinds of ways, and people kind of wrench out of its purpose. We need to always be asking, what's the point of this passage? Point of the passage is not hospitality. Point of the passage, learning to trust God. The hospitality is just sort of peripheral and tangential. However, let me say something about that tangent. In the New Testament, there is a close link between loving people and showing hospitality. For example, Hebrews 13.2 says this, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares, and they were probably thinking of Genesis 18. In fact, he was entertaining not just angels, but God. Romans 12.13, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, I think this is particularly important because we, you and I live in a culture unlike the Middle East. Middle East, man, they just wouldn't dream of not being completely hospitable. And our culture, increasingly, in suburban America, the home has become more of a fortress to keep people out. I mean, you kind of drive in, punch the gate code, you go in, lower your gate, and, you know, keep people out. And, and, you know, there's a place for privacy. I, I like my time alone. But there is also a great opportunity to use your home to show hospitality and express love for people as followers of Christ. Let's be different than our culture, and let's use our homes to express hospitality. Okay, all of that was a rabbit trail. I'm back to the main trail. Because we all know that in our Bible study, what's the point of the passage? It's trusting God. It's not hospitality. All right. Verse 9, we come to it when we read, They, the three, said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. She's 99 years old. He's 99 years old. She's 89. She's barren. God has been telling them ever since the first call when he was 75, for 24 years, there's going to be a great nation come from your own descendants, you. And they had been expecting that probably since the first month. And 24 years had gone by, and they'd been waiting. By the way, one of the main ways that God teaches you faith and me faith is through waiting. You waiting for something right now? You've been praying for something a long time, months, years? I hope so, because that shows your faith. If you've been waiting, calling out to God, they've been waiting. Now, God had never told them when the sun would come until right now. It's in Genesis 18. For the first time, he uses when. He said, this time, next year, she is going to have a son. Now, Sarah is, you know, back behind the tent door listening into this fascinating conversation. And um, when she hears this, she chuckles to herself, yeah, right, I'm 89 years old, I am barren, sure, I'm going to have a child next, next year. Now, again, uh, women at that time, uh, they didn't have babies when they were 90, just like we don't, women here today don't have babies when they're 90. In fact, the, the narrator makes that very clear, Moses, he says, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, <laughs> you know, am I worn out and my Lord... After I am worn out and my Lord is old. By the way, notice that the Lord there is small. All four is, is your screen. Uh, go to the next verse if you don't mind on the screen. 
Maybe it's already up there, and I can't see it. Verse 11, I think. Is it? 12? There it is. Okay, that's the, that's the everyday word for Lord, Adonai. Sometimes, but if it's in all caps, it's Yahweh. If it's, you know, first letter L in cap, could be God, could be man. All right, rabbit trail. All right, back to the passage. Okay, Sarah laughs to herself in unbelief. Now, God is the all-knowing, sovereign God, and he knows that she laughed. And so God challenges Abraham and Sarah in verse 13. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. I had probably been reading this passage for decades when one day it just hit me like a ton of bricks, the poignancy of this question that God asked, and he implicitly asked you and me, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the sovereign God? And of course the answer is no, because if there's anything bigger than God that he couldn't do, then that would be God, and God wouldn't be God. God is God. He has all power in the universe. If anybody else has power, it's because God delegated it to him, including Satan. God has all power in the universe. Nothing is too hard for the sovereign, holy, infinite God who created the galaxies. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And ever since that passage gripped me like that, it's like it's been in the frontal load of my brain, and I cannot hardly think of something like this without thinking of that question in Genesis 18. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for me? And it's like God is saying to Abraham and Sarah, yes, you're way past having kids. Yes, Sarah is barren. Yes, it's a miracle. It'd be impossible. But yes, I am the Lord God Almighty, and I can do it, and I will do it this time next year. I am God. Nothing is too hard for me. Now, by the way, we need that same question, don't we? I need it. Because there are times we think, oh, that's just impossible. There's no way that's going to happen. And hear God's question to you. Because this is faith. Oh, God, you can do it. You can do it. Whatever it is, it's not too big for you. It is part of the life and the journey of faith. Now, Sarah learns faith. Because by the time that baby comes, she has great faith. And in Hebrews 11, 11, we've got the New Testament commentary on this event. It's not in the Old Testament, but we read in 11.11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. Why? Since she considered him faithful who had promised. She had learned, oh yeah, he can do it. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. And she was placed in the Hall of Faith chapter. Have you learned what Sarah learned what Abraham had to learn, that God can do it. Nothing is impossible to God. About 1,400 years later, the prophet Jeremiah shows up on the scene, and God uses him incredibly. And God gives Jeremiah some special prophecy in Jeremiah 32. And part of this prophecy 
is a reference back to our passage in Genesis 18, 14. And this question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Here's the passage. Now, as I read it, keep in mind how Abraham, how Jeremiah sees God as the great, powerful God. Verse 17. Oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And he's quoting Genesis 18, 14. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O oh, great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. All caps. Great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, revealing each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. So he sees God in his greatness and his glory. So much bigger than the universe. He goes on, verse 20. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Referring back to Exodus, the book of Exodus. And to this day in Israel and among all mankind, you've made a name for yourself as it is this day. You brought your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. Then a couple of verses later, God asked Jeremiah the question. He says, Behold, I am the Lord... The God of all flesh is anything too hard for me. So God reaches back into the life of Abraham and teaches uh, the people of Israel in the 700s, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Now, church, what I want to point out here is critical to the life of faith. Jeremiah had great faith because he did two things in this prayer. One, he saw God in his greatness and his glory, not as a small, tame God. He's not Superman. He's the sovereign God. Secondly, Jeremiah reaches back and in his prayer is quoting the Bible, referring to the Bible. Oh, yeah, in Exodus, you showed your greatness. Now, those two things are critical to the life of faith, that you and I, when we pray at all times, we see God in his glory and his greatness. And that we recall his great deeds in the Scriptures. Now, if those two things are going to happen in our lives, one thing will cause it. You live in this book. You live in it. So that more and more your mind is being renewed by the Word of God. And more and more you're seeing God in His greatness and His glory. And you cannot help but see God that way. And moreover, if you live in this book and soak your mind in God's mind... Fill your mind with God's mind. You will recall the greatness of God in Scripture and His great events in past. Those are critical to the life of faith. So if you hope in your one lifetime to live by faith, then live in this book. Soak in this book. Meet God in this book. Don't just read it as a book of theology, but, oh God, speak to me. And you meet God and you respond to God. You don't so much read it, but you pray it. And God will build faith in you and me. All righty. Okay, New Testament underscores this same truth from Genesis 18, 14. For example, in Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says to his disciples, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God is underscoring in our minds, all things are possible with God. Then Luke 1, 37, For nothing will be impossible with God. He's underscoring it in our minds. Or Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now to him 
who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so whatever it is you can think of in your brain, remind yourselves that's a puny brain compared to God's. God can do far much, but far better, far incomparably greater. God can do it. God can do it. Church, it is impossible for you and me to be people of faith. The people that God is delighting for. He's looking for people who would dare to live by faith. It's impossible to do that unless you live in this book. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. This is what God uses to build faith in us. Now, besides these strong passages about God's power, you've got examples of God's power doing the impossible, doing the God size from Genesis to Revelation. All through the Bible. I mean, you have it in our passage, uh, uh, the baby at, uh, for a woman who's barren and 90 years old. All through the book of Exodus, the ten plagues, the splitting the Red Sea, the pillar of fire, the man. I mean, all through the book of Exodus, all through the Old Testament. Then Jesus shows up, and he does the impossible. I mean, he's raising people from the dead and healing the blind and walking on the water and doing the impossible. From Genesis to Revelation, our God can do the impossible. Live in this book. If you want to live by faith. God loves it when you and I, today, in 2019, trust Him. Including trust Him for the God size. We're not just going through life asking God for tame, safe little things that, you know, we probably might could do on our own. But we're trusting God for things that are impossible. If God doesn't do it, we don't have a chance. What are you asking God for today like that? Are you living by faith? There's a simple little acid test to know whether or not you're trusting God for the, ad, for the, for the impossible. Are you praying about God-sized things? Or have you stopped and given up because it's been 20 years? Well, if you're still praying to some extent, you're living by faith because you've got enough faith to come to God and call out to him. But if you stop praying, then something in your heart is shut down. God can't do that. You're not living by faith. Pray and keep on praying. I know. I know. We don't get everything we want, when we want it, how we want it. Neither did Abraham and Sarah, by the way, did they? They'd waited 24 years, 25 years by the time the baby comes. And they wanted a baby the first month. Uh, they don't get what they want. God is God. He's not a genie that we kind of command. You know, if we got everything that we wanted, just when we wanted it, th think with me about how bad that would be. How bad it would be for your two-year-old if you, everything they wanted, you gave it to them? The gap between your two-year-old's brain and your brain is not nearly as, as big as the gap between your brain and God's brain. I mean, oh, it would be a disaster. I wouldn't have the wonderful marriage to the woman, wonderful woman I'm married to because he'd answer that prayer about the other girl. So... But beforehand, but God said no. Now, this is what would happen if I got everything I wanted when I wanted it. I would pretty soon think that I'm like a magician. I command the genie, and the genie makes it happen, you know, like in the Aladdin movie. How bad would that be? This is faith. This isn't magic. This isn't uh, me barking orders at a sovereign God. And in his 
inexplicable, incomprehensible wisdom. We don't understand all that he allows and does, but we trust him. We learn in our lives to trust him, and he loves it when we trust him. Now, church, this is your only opportunity in all of eternity to live by faith. Isn't that true? In eternity, you're going to live by sight. He's going to be right here. Now, just think about it. An 80-year life, I'm going to represent by this much up here. I know it might be hard to see, but you got the screens. All right, that's 80 years. It starts with this finger, and it goes this way. That's 80 years. But eternity, the line's going to keep shooting out that way across the end of the stage where it's going to be, you know, like a million. And then it's going to keep shooting up north to Oklahoma and Kansas and Nebraska. It's, it's shooting through uh, Canada and still going. I mean, that line is never going to end. The only time in all eternity you've got the opportunity to live by faith is right now, right here. Are you going to live by faith? Are you going to be a practical atheist who just talks it? Let's put our lives where our mouth is and let's trust God. Maybe you're asking God to do a miracle in your marriage because it is hopeless and you're dying. Church, I've been a pastor a long time and I can tell you I have seen hopeless marriages healed. Don't give up. Don't give up. Maybe you've been single for so long and you've been asking God for a wonderful Christian marriage. Don't give up. Maybe you've got a child that has made some bad decisions and it scares you to death. And you're begging God. Don't give up. Maybe you need miraculous healing for yourself or a loved one. Maybe you've got an addiction that is ruining your life and you are powerless to do something about it. Don't give up. Maybe you need God to save a loved one that seems so far from God. This is our top five basket where we, Lord, give me five people who don't yet know you. And maybe one of yours is like the Apostle Paul before he came to faith. He's completely rejecting Christ, hates Christ. God can save him. God can save him. He did with Paul. He did with you. Maybe you need God to rescue you from some terrifying fear that you cannot uh, get loose of. And it's just strangling the life out of you. Keep praying. Don't give up. Prayer shows faith to some extent. So church, what do you trust in God for that only God can do? You may not understand why he doesn't answer it now and the way you want it, but this is what you do know. You don't know all that God does, but this is what you do know. He says over and over, ask, 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 and keep asking. And that's what we will do. That's what we will do. Live in this book if you hope to live by faith every day. I mean, privilege. Man, we get to hear from God. Get all those human words on the internet. God's words. Memorize key verses. On your seats, there should have been a card memorizing 52 verses. 52 verses that I've chosen are particularly critical to memorize. One a week. Learn those verses. Make them part of your heart. God will build faith. Live in this book. Saturate your mind in God's mind. So, church, I, I've been encouraging you to trust God during this series for the God size. What am I praying for this God size? I'm your pastor. Am I doing that? Yes, I am. In fact, I'm going to tell you a half a dozen of mine. I got more, but here are the top six for me. These are miraculous things that I'm praying for, and some of these I've been praying for years and years. 
Okay, I'm praying for physical healing for one of our grandkids. She really needs it. Secondly, I'm praying for our daughter Callie, that God would heal her from her ulcerative colitis that she's struggled with since college days. Third, I'm praying for complete and final healing from my mental disease, OCD. If you were here last week, I, I told you that it's like I, I don't have it anymore. Just about all the time, it's gone. Maybe 95%, but, but from time to time, uh, I wrestle with it some. And even more than wrestling with the OCD is the fear of OCD coming back, which is terrifying to me. And I've got to trust God with that. So I'm praying for complete final healing, deliverance, OCD, and all fear. I'm praying for revival in Houston so that Houston would really become a city of God. And Houston has never had that. And I think there'd be a lot of people, I think there'd be a lot of pastors who don't believe that that's going to happen and could happen. Well, well, God can absolutely do it. And, and, and I'm going to go to my grave praying for it or we're going to see it. And God can do it. He brings it to other places, other times. He can absolutely do it here. I'm praying Houston, City of God, revival. I'm praying for 100 healthy, thriving church plants all over Houston area. Do you know that the Houston population is going to double in the next 30 years? And we are not having nearly enough church plants to keep up with population growth. It's about like five times as much as what we've got now. We don't have nearly enough church plants. We need 100. Wood's Edge does. And we're partnering with the whole city, other churches, Houston Church Planting Network, to plant some more. We need a lot of thriving, healthy church plants to reach the 15 million people who are going to be here in a few decades. Uh, I'm praying for kingdom movements, like in the book of Acts where the gospel spreads through all, all of Asia and everybody heard the gospel. I'm praying for kingdom movements here in Houston and around the world, wherever God has us, because uh, we want to see book of Acts movements here in our day. Those are just some of the things that I'm praying for. And some of those involving the city and the gospel and revival, I hope you're praying with me on them. What are you praying for? This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take out the card on the seat backs. Um, they're on the seat backs right in front of you. If you're on the front row, you're going to have to reach behind you and get, get one out of the seat backs there. And uh, what, what is written on that uh, card if you pull it out? What's written on it? Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Write down one of your God-sized requests, and then at our communion time, I'm going to ask you to bring it to a basket that we've got at each of the communion tables and put it there as, a, as sort of an act of surrender and faith. Lord, we're asking you to do this. Take a few moments. Write a, write a God-sized request on that. Got it? Maybe just put one word to represent it. God knows it. Okay. Stand with me, please, church. This is what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate communion. And when you go forward or backwards or to the side to the communion table, there is an empty basket. There actually, from the first service, there's a basket with a bunch of cards in it. It might be under the table. It might be on the top row of the table. It might be on the middle shelf of the table, wherever we found room for it. And 
by your physical, tangible act of putting that card in that basket, you're saying, God, only you can do this. Would you please do it? And then we're going to pray together in a few moments. Oh, God, hear these requests. Church, come and worship the Lord in communion. Bring that prayer card.